Well, here we are, the third week of Advent. And as we've mentioned a couple of times, that word Advent simply comes from the, uh, a Latin word, and it simply means coming. And so this is the, in the traditional Christian calendar, this is the time of the year. The church focuses her gaze on the coming of Jesus. Uh, during this time of year, we look back at the first coming of Jesus. We marvel at the wonder of the incarnation, that the eternal Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, fully God, eternal with God the Father, would take on flesh and dwell among us. It's also the time of year we lean forward, anticipating the return of Christ. So as we navigate the beauty and the brokenness of this world, this time of year invites us to yearn for his second coming, when he will come to make all the dark things light and all the wrong things right. That's what we're waiting for. So Advent is about the coming of Jesus. So in order to rightly understand and appreciate this season, we need to rightly understand and appreciate who Jesus is. And that's what we've been doing this year through our Advent series, opening scripture, that in particular, we might hear the words of Christ himself, that we might have to say what he has to say, that we might behold the beauty of the real Jesus. So we want to know and delight in the real Jesus, not the Jesus culture defines for us, Not the Jesus traditions teach us, not the Jesus shaped primarily by our personal experiences, not the Jesus politics puppeteer, not the Jesus trivialized by social media mean, not the Jesus we hate, not the Jesus we want, the Jesus who is, the real Jesus. See, all of us, we can dismiss Jesus believing he was nothing more than a good teacher. We can domesticate Jesus, making him fit our definition of love and justice. We can moralize Jesus, thinking he's harsh and cruel and unaccepting. But none of this, friends, changes who Jesus truly is. And the more that we know and we hope and we delight in the real Jesus, the more hope and joy and peace we will have. That's what this season is about. So if you're looking for hope, if you're looking for joy, if you're looking for peace, if you're looking for belonging, if you're looking for rest, refuge, welcome. We are glad that you are here. So let's listen to Jesus this morning, that we might know and delight in who he truly is. And I think what we'll find is Jesus doesn't bend to our whims and our wishes. And Jesus doesn't naturally fit what our imaginations might come up with. But he's better and greater than we could ever And that's what's striking about the words of Christ as we've seen them. It's striking, even arresting and unsettling the words that Jesus uses to describe himself, how endearing he is, that he invites anyone and everyone who is willing to come to him. And when they do, when they come humbly, they find that Christ is tender, he is compassionate, he is merciful, he is welcoming, and he is forgiving. We've been seeing this as we've looked at the I am statements in the Gospel of John. So in this eyewitness account of Jesus' life, Jesus re, uh, John records seven statements Jesus made that begin with I am. Uh, two weeks ago, we considered Jesus' words, I am the bread of life. Uh, Jesus invites anyone and everyone to come to him to feast. They might be satisfied at their deepest hungers. Last week, we, we looked at Jesus' words, I am the light of the world. Jesus is pure, luminous light. 
displaying the very essence of God's radiant glory and beauty, that he might shine light in the darkest recesses of our soul. And this morning, we give our attention to a few more syllables from the lips of Christ. I am the good shepherd. Let me encourage you to have your Bibles open in front of you. It'll be a great help to you as we walk through this passage. You want to make sure what anything that I say comes directly from God's word itself. So I encourage you to have your Bibles open. And here's what I want to do with our time. First, I just want to spend a few minutes meditating on that phrase. Take each word, turn it over, and ponder who Jesus is. And then we'll look at three reasons why Jesus is the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. Look again at John chapter 10, verse 11. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. Now drop your eyes down to verse 14. I am the good shepherd. So three times here in this passage, we hear the words good shepherd. And twice, Jesus explicitly says, I am the good shepherd. So let's meditate on that phrase, I am. When Jesus utters these words, he's doing more than describing something about himself. He's declaring who he is in himself. This statement is not just a characteristic about Jesus, but pointing to his essence, who he is. When Jesus says, I am, he's taking God's revealed covenant name and applying it to himself. Remember the Old Testament. In Exodus, the second book of the Bible, God reveals his name for the first time to Moses in Exodus chapter 3. And he says, I am who I am. And that comes from the word, the, the verb to be. In other words, God is. There is no beginning and there is no end with the Lord God Almighty. The Lord is infinite, eternal, uncreated, self-sufficient, absolute, constant. That's why he says his name is I am. So whenever Jesus makes an I am statement, he is identifying himself as God. Uh, We know this because in addition to the seven I am statements in John, there are a few what are called absolute I am statements. Uh, Nathan showed us one of these last week. And so you can look at John chapter 8, verse 58. When Jesus is talking to and rebuking the Pharisees, that is the self-righteous religious leaders of the day, he tells them, 858, before Abraham was born, I am. In other words, Abraham, who is hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus, Jesus says, I existed before Abraham because I am God and I, God has always existed, I am. And there is no doubt that they understood Jesus' claim to be the eternal God incarnate because what do they do? They pick up stones to try to kill him. Uh, You can see Jesus' claim to divinity in John chapter 10 as well. Uh, Verse 33 of chapter 10, right in the context of our passage, right in the context of this I am statement, look at verse 33. The Jews answered him, that is they answered Jesus, it is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself what? God. They understood Jesus claims to be God. Do you see what this means? When Jesus says, I am, he's claiming to be God incarnate. And here's the point. Jesus is either divine or he is deranged. 
In fact, you will see later in verse 18, Jesus says that he will not only lay his life down, but he will do what? He will take it up again. Who speaks like that? Anyone can die. Anyone can put themselves in a place where they will be killed. But only God, the author and the giver of life, can say, oh yeah, and by the way, I'm going to resurrect and come back to life. And that's exactly what Jesus says. So Jesus is either insane, uttering nonsense, and you should not listen to him or even respect him. Or Jesus is who he said he is, God in the flesh. And we must listen and not just respect, but worship him. Jesus himself leaves no other option. Jesus is either God or he is not Non-Christian friends, I am thankful that you are here with us. And I would encourage you, honestly, wrestle with Jesus' own words. Is he who is Jesus who he said he is? Uh, if you want to think more about that, I brought two copies of a book just for you, friend. Who is Jesus? Uh, they will be on this table right after this sermon. I would encourage you to pick one up and read it. And if you have questions, uh, I would love to get you connected to a member of our church. Maybe ask the friend who invited you here this morning that we might be able to help you understand Jesus' own claims. Because he's either God or he is not good. But you can't just say he's good. He's one or the other. It would be helpful for you to think through that this morning. Jesus says, I am. The real Jesus is God in the flesh. The infinite has become incarnate. As Nathan said a few weeks ago, there is no God in heaven unlike the Jesus on earth. Let's note one more thing about these I, this, these I am, this I am. Now, did you notice that they are in the present tense? Jesus did not say, I was. So it's not as though Jesus was the bread of life and now he's stale and unsatisfied. It's not as though Jesus was the light of the world and somebody turned off the switch. It's not as though Jesus was the good shepherd and now he's just a grumpy old man. No, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He does not change. And these words still apply. These words are still in the present tense today. I, Jesus is a real person. I am. He isn't just a historical figure, but an actual person who is alive and well today. That means every true and glorious thing said about Jesus in the Bible is still true and glorious today. And notice Jesus didn't say, I will be. He's not talking about the future. He says, I am. Here's what that means. Jesus is stating a reality, not making a promise. The Bible is full of precious promises that fuel our life. But this isn't one of them. Jesus' words, I am, isn't a promise to wait for but a reality to enjoy now. A reality to enjoy now. Jesus is the good shepherd every moment, every hour, every day, and he invites you to come to him as you are that you might enjoy him as he is. I am. I am the. Jesus' words contain a definite article, the. Jesus is not just a good shepherd, but the good shepherd. He's not one among many. 
In fact, we see in verse 16, Jesus says there's one flock and how many shepherds? One shepherd. Uh, he's not the, the best of several others who are competing and he, he happened to win the title. There's, in the ultimate sense, there's only one good shepherd and his name is Jesus. So to know God as your true shepherd, you must know Jesus. There are no other options. I am the, I am the good shepherd. Now let's take that word shepherd first. In this I am statement, Jesus used the image of shepherd to declare who he is. It's interesting to note that Jesus never says, I am the rock. I am the fortress. I am the shield. Here's the thing. We know all those things are true. In the Old Testament, there are numerous, dozens upon dozens times where it says, the Lord is a rock, the Lord is a fortress, the Lord is a shield. And these, these images convey the, the power and the protection of God. But when Jesus reveals the depth of who he is with his very own words, he doesn't use any of these images. Why? Here's my take. As wonderful as the truths are that he's a shield, a rock, a fortress, they are not personal. And Jesus wants you to know that he is not just personal, or he's not just powerful, but he is personal. He's personal. But see, that alone isn't enough. We must ask, what type of person? Because if he's personal, but he's mean, if he's personal, but he beats and mistreats his sheep, if he's personal and he's demanding, if he's personal and he's more like Scrooge, self-serving, stingy, and tight-fisted, that wouldn't be good news. And so is that what Jesus is like? Is that what he says? No. I am the what? I am the good shepherd. That, that word good encompasses, it's all encompassing. It, it, demote, it, it denotes moral purity. There, there is nothing corrupt or unclean or unjust about Jesus. But it goes further. This word denotes beauty. Jesus is not just good. He is desirable. So, so this good is not like looking at a, at a math problem, two plus two equals four and says, that's good. That's true. It's right. But this good. It's like tasting a fresh baked apple pie covered with vanilla ice cream and saying, that's good. That's good. Jesus is attractive to our souls at the deepest level. Jesus, the good shepherd, shows us not just what is right and true, but all that is excellent, pure, and desirable. Jesus, the shepherd, the good one, the beautiful. That's what this text is saying. And this is necessary. If we're going to have a God that we can enjoy, if the first coming of Jesus is going to warm our soul and the, the second coming of Jesus is going to fuel our lives, Jesus must not only be great, but good. You see, the greatness of God might make us be in awe of him, but that alone doesn't draw us into him. 
the goodness of God draws us in, into his very heart. We can know him and enjoy him. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And this is good news for our lives. Now that we've meditated on that phrase a little bit, let's let's widen our scope, put a little more color and texture on Jesus' words. I'm going to show you three reasons from this text why Jesus is the good shepherd. First, Jesus is the good shepherd because he knows his sheep. Second, Jesus is the good shepherd because he cares for his sheep. Third, Jesus is the good shepherd because he's committed to his sheep. Let's look at each one of those. Look again at verses 14 and 15. Jesus is the good shepherd because he knows his sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay my life down for the sheep. One of the reasons Jesus gives for being the good shepherd is because he knows his sheep. And this knowing isn't just facts. It's not like saying, I know the current U.S. president is Joe Biden. It's not like looking at a postcard with a picture of a beach saying, I know it feels good to have my toes in the sand. This knowing is like being on that vacation, experiencing the joy of actually sitting on the beach with your toes in the sand, hearing the waves crash, tasting the salt in the air as the warm rays of the sun kiss your skin. This John 14 knowing isn't information, it's intimacy and enjoyment. And notice what Jesus says. How will his sheep know him and he know them? How? Just as. That's amazing. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. Jesus compares his knowing, his relationship with his sheep to his knowing, his relationship with his eternal father. Think about that. Jesus and the father, a relationship with no unknowns, no hesitancies, no fears, only pure, honest, vulnerable, beautiful, binding covenant affection. Just as. Jesus knows his sheep. His people like this. This relationship isn't superficial, but intimate. We're not talking about a passing acquaintance, but a deep, abiding, loving, life-giving, covenant friendship. And this type of knowing quiets and calms one of our greatest fears in life. Most of us fear that if our friends our spouse, our roommate, our family members, our neighbor knew us fully. They knew the the darkest, deepest recesses of our soul. That if people really knew just how weird and awkward and messed up we really were, then they'd be repulsed and they wouldn't really love us. And at the same time, it can feel like the love we receive when we're not fully known is shallow. There can be this nagging thought. Well, if they really knew about me, 
if they knew my dark thoughts, if they knew what I did when I was alone, then they really wouldn't love me. They would stop liking me. But Jesus, Jesus, his knowing and loving isn't calculated and cautious like that. He knows his own fully and loves them truly. And that's what we want and that's what we need. As one pastor sums it up, quote, to be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved is, well, a lot like being loved by God. It is what we need more than anything. This is how Jesus knows his sheep. Fully, deeply, intimately. See, some of you are tempted to hide parts of your life from Jesus. You think the sin is too great and messy, and once you get it cleaned up, well, then I can come to Jesus. Or the the, the shame is too much, and once you heal a little bit, well, then you can come to Jesus. You're, You're tempted to think, That your sin, your shame, your struggles are repulsive to Christ. But that's a lie. It's a lie. Jesus is saying, your sin, your shame, your struggles aren't repulsive. They're the very reason I came for you. I came for the sick. I came for the hurting. I came for the wounded. That's who I came for. Brothers and sisters, Jesus knows you. And he calls you by name. Look at verse 3. The sheep hear his, that is the shepherd's voice. And he calls his own by name. Did you hear that? Calls his own by name. Name. Jesus, the good shepherd, knows his sheep not just as one big generic flock of white things. These animals. But individually by name. Each one is precious to him. And again, notice the word calls. Active, present. It does not say called. The good shepherd continually calls his sheep, beckoning, inviting, wooing them to come to him. Beloved, that's true of you this morning. Jesus is calling you by name to himself. He doesn't get tired of calling you. He's not disappointed that you're one of his own. His affection for you never fades, never diminishes, never sours. He's calling you this morning by name. There's something about you. And remember, Jesus knows you fully. There's something about you that thrills the soul of the good shepherd. And he says, come, come to me. I'm calling you by name. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your soul. Come. 
Do you hear his voice? Will you listen? Will you listen to the shepherd who's calling you by name? Jesus is the good shepherd because he knows his own. And Jesus is the good shepherd because he cares for his own. Look at the rest of verse 3 and 4. His sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Jesus not only knows and calls his sheep, but he cares for them. He leads them out. That is, he leads them out of the pen that they might feast and be satisfied in the green pastures, grazing. And notice what it says. When he has brought out what? When he has brought out? When he has brought out? When he has brought out? All! All! All his own! Not one sheep goes missing. All are accounted for. All are precious to him. Beloved, your good shepherd will not let you wander too far before he brings you back to himself. All his own. Through his spirit inside of you, through the church around you, he will make sure that all come back to him. And the green pastures of the gospel. And there is no danger too great that that can snatch you from his caring hands. All his own. In Christ, you are secure. Notice I did not say safe. Christians are not safe. That's one of our idols of American Christianity. I want to be safe. You are secure, but you are not safe. We do not know what tomorrow brings, but we know what eternity holds. And so we are secure. We are secure because we have a good shepherd who cares for us, and he will ensure that all his own make it home. He will not rest until every sin, sorrow, struggle, and shame is brought to an end, and we are home. The good shepherd brings out all and He goes before them. Do you see that in the passage? He goes before them. Jesus does not drive the sheep from behind with a whip. He walks before as a guide, scouring the land for the most advantageous pastures to graze in, looking for danger. Here's the truth. Jesus never calls his sheep to do anything or go anywhere, he hasn't gone first. This is one of the unique and beautiful truths of Christianity. Our God does not stand far off calling us to do things that he himself is unwilling to do. He does not stand far off telling us to go places he himself is unwilling to go. As far as I know, that's every other religion. There's a God that somehow you have to appease by doing stuff that he himself is unwilling to do. And yet Jesus, the good shepherd, goes before. He experiences the trials and temptations, the pains and difficulties of this world. And because he goes before us, 
He knows how to best provide and protect his flock. His concern is not what is best for himself. His concern is what is best for his sheep. We see the opposite of that in, in verses 12 and 13 of this chapter. Look there in chapter 10, verse 12 and 13. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Bad shepherds care nothing for the sheep. They're more concerned for their own safety. They're more concerned for their own pay. We could say comfort and compensation are their primary focus. And if the sheep must be sacrificed, so be it. Jesus is showing us what a bad shepherd looks like, that we might more appreciate what it means that he's the good shepherd. And as we've already alluded to throughout this service, this theme of shepherd is one of the great themes of the Bible. And so as the people listen to Jesus' teaching, There were probably several Old Testament passages ringing in their ears. But one of them had to be our call to worship this morning, which was Ezekiel chapter 34. In Ezekiel chapter 34, we have religious leaders who are using the sheep for their own good. They're berating the sheep, taking advantage of the sheep, that they might live fat, comfortable, rich, nice lives. And God shows up through the prophet Ezekiel and he speaks a word to rebuke the leaders and to encourage the downtrodden people in Ezekiel chapter 34, 11 through 16. I would just encourage you this afternoon to go read the whole chapter as we consider Jesus the good shepherd. But listen to these words from Ezekiel 34. For thus says the Lord God, behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so I, so will I seek out my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the places and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost. I will bring back the stray. I will bind up the injured and I will strengthen the weak and the fat and the strong. I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. God repeatedly says, I, I myself will be the shepherd of my people. And how does he do that? He comes personally in the person of Jesus Christ. The great I am becomes the humble shepherd in Christ. And we read these words in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 11. He, the Lord, will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Do you see the tender care of the good shepherd? 
Do you see that Jesus is not a shepherd that berates his sheep for being dirty, smelly, and dumb? Jesus is a good shepherd who guides and guards, not driving from the back, but leading sacrificially from the front. Let me put it this way for you, beloved. Jesus isn't looking at you with crossed arms, screaming at you to get your act together. Jesus is holding his arms open, showing how much he cares for you, inviting you to come to him that you might be satisfied and secure. Because he cares for you. To be clear, Jesus is not indifferent to our sin, our immorality, and rebellion. Jesus is not apathetic to our disobedience and waywardness and self-righteousness. Read the Gospels and you will see that Jesus' severest words are reserved for prideful, self-righteous people that are wayward. He's not okay with that. But he cares so deeply that he gives his life for anyone who would repent and come to him. And he's returning to fix all that is broken, to make everything sad untrue. So even in those instances, when when you choose to disobey God's word, when you choose to doubt God's love, when you choose to deny God's character, Jesus beckons you. He's calling you by name to confess, to repent, and to come to him so you might find everything you need for life and godliness. Remember his words, beloved. I am the bread of life. He satisfies. I am the light of the world. He shines light into our darkness. I am the good shepherd. Jesus knows and cares for his own, for you, for me, for us. So in a world filled with our own sin struggles and disappointments and loneliness. What if you knew for certain that Jesus knows you intimately and cares for you personally? In a world filled with Alzheimer's and cancer, heart attacks, car wrecks, broken relationships, and work pressures, what if you knew for certain For those that belong to Christ, everything would turn out well in the end. In a world filled with parenting challenges, unmet godly desires, personal failures, bouts with anxiety and depression, what if you knew for certain that your every need would be met? What if you knew for certain that Jesus was the good shepherd who cares for you and leads you and goes before you, ensuring that all his own will make it home to heaven and the green pastures that await. What if? Well, these are no mere what ifs. So will you take time this week to consider how this picture of the real Jesus comforts you? Talk to a friend. Talk to a fellow community group member, another member of this church. How this reality challenges you. Parents, I encourage you as you 
Disciple your children this week. Consider how you can point them to Jesus, the good shepherd who knows them and cares for them. Youth students, ask your parents to help you know what it means Jesus is the good shepherd, especially when life is hard, you're upset, you're sad, and it feels like no one cares. Ask your parents, what does it mean Jesus is the good shepherd? Jesus is the good shepherd because he knows his own. Jesus is the good shepherd because he cares for his own. And Jesus is the good shepherd because he's committed to his own. Look again at verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. Jesus, the good shepherd, is so committed to his sheep that he will give his life for them. In fact, you'll notice this is the first thing Jesus says about being the good shepherd. Forefront in Jesus' mind, of what it means to be a good shepherd is to be a sacrifice. And did you notice the repetition of Jesus saying that in this passage? Five times he talks about laying down his life. Verse 11, good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Into verse 15, I lay down my life for the sheep. Verse 17, I lay it down. Verse 18, I lay it down. Verse 18 again, lay it down. And again, this echoes the Old Testament. It's ringing in our ears. Isaiah 53, 4 through 6, speaking of the suffering servant, the promised Messiah, we read this. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus knows what lies before him. Jesus knows that he, the good shepherd, will soon hang on the cross as a guilty sheep. Here's the wonder of Advent. Here's the beauty of Christmas. Here's the goodness of the gospel. The beautiful shepherd becomes a bloody lamb. The beautiful shepherd becomes a bloody lamb. Not for his sins. Not for his rebellion. Not for his iniquities. He is good and he is perfect. So why does he lay his life down? What does the text say? He lays his life down, why? For the sheep, for his own, for those he calls by name. As Isaiah said, we all, left to ourselves, we go astray. Everyone has turned from God. Sometimes that's with our actions, doing what God forbids. Many times it's with our affections, loving something, someone more than we love God. Our turning from God. Our turning to our own way happens in our thoughts, our words, our deeds, and misplaced desires. Left to ourselves, none of us stand before God boasting of our own goodness. We might compare ourselves to another person 
and say, they're bad, I'm good. But that's not the standard. God's standard of good is not another person, but his own infinite perfections. With that, we all fall short. As I read a while ago, quote, there is no small sin against God because there is no small God to sin against. There is no small sin against God because there is no small God to sin against. So left to ourselves, we will be pierced for our transgressions. Left to ourselves, we will be crushed for our iniquities. Left to ourselves, we will be chastised and condemned. But there is good news. Jesus lays his life down for the sheep. Or as Paul says it, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him, that is in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. Do you see that Jesus takes our guilt that we might have his goodness? That we might be reconciled back to God, the Father, known and loved and cared for and cherished as God's very own son, God's very own daughter, the precious sheep of Jesus, the good shepherd. For my friends not trusting in Christ this morning, will you pause and consider this? Maybe verse 16 is true for you this morning. That in God's kindness, you came in here this morning that God might bring you into his fold. Notice he has other sheep, not of this fold. In the context, he's talking about Jews. Other sheep are Gentiles, all nations, all tribes, all tongues, all peoples. And maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you walked in here not yet a part of the flock of God. And he's calling you by name this morning. Saying, come to me. So will you Consider how you're determining your goodness before God. And I would humbly submit that if your goodness rests on anything or anyone other than Jesus, it's not enough. It's not enough. So will you come to Christ, the one who gave his life for you, if you would come to For my Christian brothers and sisters, I want you to realize something beautiful in this text also. Look again at verse 18. No one takes it, my life, from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. You see what Jesus is saying? The cross was not forced upon him. Jesus goes to the cross of my own accord, he says. And this was the charge, this was the plan drawn up in agreement with God the Father. So God the Father and God the Son conspire together through with God the Holy Spirit to bring you, to bring me, a wayward sheep into God's fold. Do you see, the cross wasn't forced upon Jesus. He walked freely to it. And even more, the work of the cross does not force the Father to love us. The work of the cross flows from the Father's love for us. As I've said numerous times, God does not love us because there is a cross. There is a cross because God loves us. 
Think about that. Verse 18 is staggering. Think about this. The triune God of the universe devised a plan that sought you out, that bought you at the cross and brought you to himself, that he might sweep you up into the intimate fellowship, just as the Father and the Son and the Spirit know one another. That's amazing. Emmanuel, God with us. But it gets even better. Jesus knows if the shepherd dies, the sheep are scattered. They're at the mercy of the wolves and they die. That's why he says, I have authority to lay my life down. And, and, and I have authority to take it up. Jesus didn't just die abandoning his sheep. He rose again on the third day as the forever eternal good shepherd. Remember, he goes before us. He tasted death. He conquered Satan and sin and leads us out to the other side. Jesus is so committed to you, beloved, that he laid down his life and took it back up again, that one day we together, all together, might graze in the lush, lavish pastures of heaven, a world with no more sin, no more suffering, no more tears, no more disease, no more death, only perfection and pleasure and the presence of God with all of God's people forever. Jesus tells us, I am the good shepherd. And we know this because he intimately knows his own. He personally cares for his own and he's committed to his own until the very end. Advent, it's about the coming of Jesus. We reflect upon his first coming as we anticipate his second. And guess what? When he returns, guess what? The I am is still in the present tense. Revelation 7, verse 17. John looks into heaven. What does he see? For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. And he will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Here again, we see the lamb is the shepherd and the shepherd is the lamb. He was, is, and always will be. Come, Lord Jesus, the good shepherd, come. Let's pray. Glorious God, we praise you for this reality. We praise you for this truth. We praise you, Jesus, that you are the good shepherd and that you shepherd your own until the very end, until we see you face to face. Comfort us, challenge us, convict us that we might Enjoy Christ together. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.